York City cop on the trail of a killer. From the back alleys of Manhattan. Our victims are certainly Yakuza. To the streets of Japan. Because of your negligence, a man we've wanted for a long time has been lost. We'll take some of the heat for this, but we're not taking the rap. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. It is a Sunday again. <laughs> or actually, it's a Saturday this time. It's a Saturday, yeah. <laughs> it is the 20th of May, and I'm here with... It's, my name is Curtis, I'm here with my co-host, John. Actually, it's Michael Douglas is here. Uh, good to see you, Curtis. <laughs> Michael Douglas, from fresh out of Romancing the Stone, and he's going to romance <laughs> all of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're continuing our uh, Ridley Scott watch series this week. Uh, with cool. 1989's Black Rain, so there's actually two films from 1989 called Black Rain. There's one, a Japanese film about uh, called, called Black Rain. It's about um, you know the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and uh, this one is obviously a different film, but it kind of explores cultural differences. And there's also a symbolism with the Black Rain itself, too, mm-hmm. starring Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia and um, the late uh, but great. I just have to look up their names really quick. <laughs> um, yeah, Yusaku uh, Matsuda in his la- last role, and actually yeah. Kate Capshaw and Ken Takakura. So we'll be yeah. talking about that today, just the two of us uh, taking it on. We'll talk about Yakuza and NYPD and cultural clashes and all that fun stuff too. This is kind of a little lesser known uh, film in Ridley Scott's uh, filmography, him kind of trying to go full Tony Scott, you could say. <laughs> so we'll yeah. talk more about that too. Uh, before we talk about the film, we like to talk about what we watched this week. What did you watch this week, John? You have a few things on your list. Uh, yeah, sure. So I've uh, I, I didn't watch a whole lot this week. I've been uh, I've been away from my movie TV watching stuff, and I watched a lot the last couple of weeks. So, uh, but I did finish finally watching uh, the Netflix series Beef, uh, which I've been watching kind of on and off over the last few weeks. Uh, a lot of hype when this came out, although I haven't heard much recently. It kind of came and went, but um, of course, a, a series starring uh, Stephen Yoon and uh, Ali Wong playing these two characters. You get into this bout of road rage and they kind of both um have this incident of road road rage with each other and their lives kind of get intertwined and then as they try to kind of get revenge and one up on the other things kind of escalate um produced by a24 um the the, the show itself i thought looked really good i thought it actually had some really interesting concepts and ideas going on um there's some stuff in it kind of exploring uh you know, kind of the different upbringings, especially as like different Asian American cultures. I thought there was some interesting stuff there also about looking at, you know, the high and low society, uh, the kind of upper class societies of looking at the art world and then looking at Stephen Young's character and kind of the people scripting and saving. And um, there was some, but but honestly, I, I, I was a little disappointed by the ending. I thought, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, to me, like it didn't end very strong. And um, it made some really interesting choices with the final few episodes that I don't know if they totally worked for me, but um, I, I will say I think Stephen Yoon is continuing to show that he's one of the the better actors in, in movies and television. I know he's just coming off of Nope as well, too, and I think like um, it's really cool how he's transitioned from you know a sort of supporting role in The Walking Dead, a supporting lead role, to now being one of like the mm-hmm. premier kind of film stars in America. And he's so really diversified well. too. He's been yeah, and, things. And he's been in, of course, a lot of great stuff in Korea as well too. The Burning is like one of my favorite films and he's he's excellent in it. So really great. And actually, Ali Wong, I thought, I, I don't really know her too well. I know she's pretty popular from her, from her stand-up. Um, I think she's done a few, some voice work as well too on some shows. But um, I thought she did a really great kind of dramatic role in this too. And I, I really would be interested to see her in more and more stuff more serious stuff so I, I thought she was quite exceptional too but i this show's been getting like on letterbox like nothing but like four and a half five stars and i'm just not there to me this is like a remarkably okay good show but um i still enjoyed it um also watched one that actually i remember quinn mentioning on a prior a prior episode uh, i believe a few years ago uh this one is the 1982 martin scorsese classic the king of comedy uh, mm-hmm. Which now I really want to rewatch Joker because that movie just as Quinn said this that movie totally fucking rips off this movie. It's very much kind of the same premise. Um, it's almost like a spiritual remake uh, in that sense. Of course, this film uh, starring uh, Robert De Niro is this kind of uh, a delusional, aspiring stand-up comic named uh, Rupert Pupkin, and he's obsessed 
with this very popular late night comedian, Jerry Langford, played, of course, by the great Jerry Lewis in a kind of almost like biographical role to an extent. And he's this obsessed fan who wants to desperately meet, he ends up meeting him by chance and desperately wants to get his approval and get on his show and his program and tries to kind of scheme to, to get his way into his life. And um, really, really beautiful, really fun, dark comedy. It's really well written. I thought the De Niro's performance in this, like, I'm just always constantly just captivated by his performances in these Scorsese flicks, you know, following, of course, never looks down. <laughs> Taxi Driver, or sorry, following uh, Raging Bull, which is a very mm. intense, brooding role, a lot of, like, body transformation in that role as well, too, coming into this, where I think he's kind of quietly menacing in this, and it's a very interesting performance, too, and um, some really kind of fun stuff about the way that they actually... Uh, that he actually got in character for this uh, performance. I was reading that he actually would, uh, because De Niro himself had like stalkers and kind of obs fan obsessives who would follow him everywhere and stay outside his apartment and stuff like that. He started to stalk them and would actually go visit their apartment and like try to kind of stalk them. So he kind of flipped the script and used that to kind of build inspiration for his uh, character. I really loved the movie. I thought it was just a visually really stunning film as well too it looks great um really snappy um also another uh, flick that i think shows a really great side of new york city kind of downtown manhattan um and and i thought it was just uh, uh probably like I, I don't know where this sits for on most people's lists of their favorite scorsese but i, I would say this is probably solidly up there and in, in as one of my favorite ones um, I think it's just a... I have to watch that one. I haven't actually seen it yet either, so... Oh, yeah, you definitely gotta check it out. I think you'll love it. It's, uh, yeah, really, and I think it's, like, a really smart film as well, too. And it also kind of blends reality and, and fantasy in an interesting way where, you know, you can kind of see when it's fantasy, but there's certain circumstances where you, you start to wonder, and how much am I watching? How much of it is actually real? How much of it is actually perhaps a fantasy? And I thought it was kind of... The blend between that was, was very strong. Um, so definitely love that one. Um, another one I watched... Uh, this one's been on my watch list for a long time, ever since I watched uh, the Mysterious Stranger sequence on YouTube. Um, and I think to this day, if you, I, I'm willing to bet if you Google, if you're on YouTube and you search scariest scene in a children's sh movie, this will almost certainly come up in the top two or three results. Um, the movie I'm talking about is The Adventures of Mark Twain. Um, which is an interesting film. It's uh, actually directed, it was the only directorial effort by Will Vinton, who's a pretty popular claymation artist who did a lot of ad and, and also some television work that never really uh, took off. And uh, kind of interestingly enough, uh, his company that he created uh, disbanded, and one of the companies that sprouted from that was Leica Pictures. I, that's done a lot of claymation, stop-motion stuff. They did, like Paranorman and all those stuff. Though they've actually yeah, been very, great stuff. <laughs> they, they've been very successful, but kind of interesting they've kind of come in the wake of this. But um, this was his only directorial effort, uh, a children's movie in the 80s. Um, the, the basic premise is these, uh, I think it's Becky Thatcher, um, Huckleberry Finn, uh, Tom Sawyer, they're at this almost like this big World's Fair event. Um, the, of course, the context, it's kind of based on the apocryphal story about Mark Twain being born during the discovery of, Hale, of Haley's Comet. And famously, he was obsessed with Haley's Comet. He kind of thought that he had kind of this cosmic connection to the comet and that when it returned he expected that he would die and I, it's it's been told that i don't know again i don't know if this is apocryphal but he apparently wrote when it was about to arrive he wrote in his diary like at last like my life is over like i'm done and then he died when the comet came so it's there's been this kind of this bit of cosmic lore about him and, and the comet so this is what the movie's based on it's the idea of mark twain um, has this like kind of steampunk space ship like a pirate ship that he's going to go up into space and uh the kid and i guess huckleberry finn tom sawyer becky thatcher they end up getting on board and then the movie's really just kind of a bunch of little sequences from his stories and i actually thought that it was a kind of a bizarre movie because i mean the, the claymation it's really impressive work but the the the, the animation itself like the character modeling is all very ugly like it's kind of there's nothing very beautiful about it it's, it's very muddled uh, the sound work as well is a little is a little awkward, um, and actually some of the stories I, I thought were kind of interesting because the film focuses a lot on um, kind of life after death and kind of these like existential concepts about life. And there's these sequences talking. It's straight from his short stories, of course. The the infamous one everyone knows the the, the mysterious stranger sequence where they meet Satan and he kind of talks about humanity and it's a really dis disturbing sequence in a, in a children's movie. But there's also a whole sequence here on Adam and Eve, and I, I really thought it was a bizarre film because to extent i think it's cool that you know this was a movie pretty much exclusively watched by by eight-year-olds and it's giving you concepts about you know humanity and life after death and i think that's kind of heady stuff for a kid it's kind of interesting but at the same time um 
I found it like a bit lacking. It was nothing really there. Uh, other than that, I found some of the sequences were a bit were a bit mixed. Um, I was kind of zoning out hard. So, a um, bit of a mixed bag. Not a bad movie though. I think actually a little bit underrated. A pretty good kids movie, I'd say. And uh, last one uh, I watched this week was uh, American Underdog. Uh, for those of you who know me well, you know I'm a football fan, and you'll also know that I'm a that I'm a Rams fan. So I was very hyped for uh, this film, American Underdog, which is sort of a biopic about Kurt Warner, the uh, former football player who uh, notably was undrafted at one point was working as a stock boy at a grocery store to make ends meet with him and his uh, his uh, wife who was a single mother herself and by, by sort of by chance and you know by his own efforts became a star of the upstart arena football league was signed by the rams to be a backup quarterback and after a it, you know, a surprising, shocking injury to the starting quarterback in the preseason. He took over, and the rest is history. He became a huge star, won the Super Bowl MVP, and the regular season MVP award in his debut season with the Rams. Um, and the film starring Zachary Levi playing uh, Kurt Warner. <laughs> kind of an inter interesting character. I don't know how old he is offhand, but I think Zachary Levi has to be at least, like, 37, because to me, he could have easily played, like, uh, Arizona Cardinals, Kurt Warner, like late late stage Warner, but he's playing like fifth year senior college Warner. It's very weird. It's very odd, but um, I, I dug it. I thought he was very strong. Uh, Anna Paquin, who's you know one of Canada's best, she plays uh, Brenda. Um, it's it's the movie's a Christian movie, so take it take it or leave it. I saw some criticism saying, oh, it's <laughs> spending too much time talking about faith and Jesus, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's a Christian movie. If you know anything about Kurt Warner's story, very religious man. You could like it, even if there's Jesus in there. <laughs> I I actually really liked it. I yeah. thought it looked yeah exactly. Really shot. Panavision, it looks beautiful. The story was genuinely captivating. Uh, you know, Kurt Warner's kind of just inner goodness comes through. Um, you know, I got choked up at times. And also, of course, I am a Rams fan, so there's really not that whole much of, of football in this movie. It's more of a character focus on Kurt Warner and his wife. But um, the last kind of hour of this is kind of focuses on his time with the Rams, which I enjoyed, especially how uh, how the film really makes Mike Martz the assistant, or sort of the, the offensive coordinator of the Rams, then later the head coach. Uh, it makes Mike Martz look like a total fucking asshole, which I appreciate because Mike Martz is a total fucking asshole who ruined the <laughs> franchise. So I really got a kick out of it. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty nice, uh, charming movie. It was kind of like uh, something you'd watch on Lifetime Network, and you know, you probably wouldn't think much of it. I'm probably a bit more higher on it others than just because of the subject matter. But I, I thought it was pretty satisfying, and um, you know, had a lot there. Um, I, I think the character focus was was pretty good. Good performances. Um, um, pretty emotional at times, and I, I dug the parts that were about football. I saw some people saying, you know, why would this spend more focus about his football career? Well. I don't know about that because I think, you know, Kurt Warner, you know, while his sort of rags to riches story is pretty captivating, uh, his football career, his time with the Rams was actually relatively short. He got injured after a couple seasons. Uh, the Rams ended up cutting him. He kind of struggled in New York for a bit and then eventually found his way when he signed in Arizona. So he had kind of a lull in his career where not much happened. So I don't know how a movie would really work if he focused more on his football career because his football career, um, for most of it really really wasn't all that cracked up to be but um yeah made for a good watch so that that was about it on, on my end curtis what did you watch this week actually i didn't watch <laughs> i barely watched anything at all so i'm kind of cheating a little bit these are films that i kind of half watched i'm halfway through but i am going to finish them tonight actually mm -hmm. uh, so the first one i watched was uh, lars and the real girl which is uh, star it's an indie flick starring uh, ryan gosling and he plays yeah. this really kind of uh it looks like he lives in, like, Newfoundland or on the Mar in the Maritimes somewhere. Oh, really? And he lives in this, like, small community, and uh, his, 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 him and his siblings have inherited the land, too, but he's, like, extremely agoraphobic and afraid of going out, and he uh, falls in love with this uh, sex doll, and he kind of <laughs> thinks that it's his actual girlfriend, too. And I thought it would be kind of, you know... Well, it wasn't, like, one of those incel movies or anything, too. It was actually kind of sweet and sensitive, but, I mean, it's just... It's that small-town feel, too, so it is a little bit boring, but it, it was kind of quirky and fun. Uh, but kind of boring, boring on one hand, but I'm going to finish that probably later. I thought that'd be interesting for research. And then the second one I started watching, it was kind of fun, uh, kind, of, kind of a little bit mindless, and some of it hasn't aged really well. Wasabi, uh, starring Jean Reno, it's a French film about this, uh, this, this, uh, cop in, in France, and he finds out that his, uh, ex-girlfriend has died, and she had a kid by him, and so he goes to hang out with, uh, her kid. The kid and the age of consent there is, I think, 20. So she has, like, two days before she turns 20. And she doesn't know that he, uh, her father is Jean Leno yet, too. And, yeah, kind of a fun one. Some of the There's a little bit of, like, transphobic violence at the beginning. And I, I thought that was really inappropriate. It just kind of shows that uh, a lot has happened since the early 2000s with, uh, 
you know, trans right, trans rights oh, and yeah, gay definitely. rights. So like, yeah, it's kind of a little bit cringy. Um, but you know, overall it was it was kind of fun otherwise. Uh, so oh. definitely, I'm gonna finish watching that one too. Um, yeah, so we, I guess, uh, we also have to, like, talk about, we add to our watch list. What did you add to yeah. your watch list this week, John? Yeah, I got, I got three on my watch list. Uh, one of them is a pretty popular De Palma flick, one of his early flicks from 1974. That's Phantom of the Paradise, which I don't really know nothing about. I don't really know much about this movie. All I know is that it's like a rock opera hybrid of, like, Phantom of the Opera and Faust. It's like a really popular kind of midnight cult film. All I, I know the poster or the, at least the, uh, the character, the Phantom in that movie, has like the big, like bird-looking mask, and I've I've always seen that picture, but I've actually never seen the movie, so I'm hoping to watch that. I'm probably going to do like a the Palma watch through probably next in, in when I've got some time once I've once I've caught up on all my other stuff. Um, another film on my list. This one is directed by uh, Giuseppe Tornatore, who I believe also directed uh, Cinema Paradiso and uh, some other lesser known mm-hmm. Italian movies. Uh, this is his. Uh, 1998 film, The Legend of 1900. I think it's 1900. Um, it's a story about a virtuoso piano player uh, named 1900 who lives his whole life on this ocean liner ship. Um, years later, the ship is um, about to potentially be destroyed. Uh, a former bandmate fears that this man might still be on board and then is willing to go down with the ship. So um, from what I understand, the film kind of goes back in time and kind of looks at kind of the ritzy glory days of the ship and his time as a player on it and it kind of today. So um, looks good. Um, interested to check that one out. And the last one on my list, I missed this because this um, this was one of the pre-pandemic uh, movies that I think got a release. I, I, this got a very brief, brief release, The Mayfair. This is a, a Jack Henry Robbins flick from that 2019 VHS, which is a, a retro comedy. It's shot totally on like VHS and Betamax, and it, it has a little bit of like a found footage kind of quality to it. Remi- reminds me a lot of like WNUF, uh, like Halloween special with the kind of cutting to different mm. commercials and sequences. Uh, this is about this 12 year old boy, Ralph, who mistakenly records home videos and his favorite night shows on his parents' wedding tape. Uh, but I don't really know much about it, but the trailer looks really cool. Uh, has a little bit of, you know, 90s nostalgia going on with the tape recording. And um, I've been, I've really enjoyed a lot of the movies that have come out the last few years. Some of them, you know, kind of fourth wall expressively about like, uh, kind of tape hardware and narratives and, and kind of analog, uh, material. It's some of the ones that are more genre film, like the horrors, like the analog horrors we've seen, like Skin Marine. So I'm really, I'm really interested to see this one. I wasn't the biggest fan of WNUF Halloween special, but I feel like I'd probably like it more if I rewatched it. I just found that one, the commercials, like, were yeah. too much to focus Well, they have a I sequel didn't... out, I, I heard too. I haven't watched it. I don't really? know if you've heard of it. Yeah, but I couldn't find it anywhere to watch online. So I didn't, uh, I didn't watch because I didn't, like you, I wasn't really crazy about the, uh, Second one too. Yeah, it's out there. Halloween mega tape. That's the sequel. Oh, really? Year. Wow. Yeah. I should also give a shout out. Uh, you know, I'm not sponsored, obviously, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome, the popular uh, boutique Blu-ray kind of outlet. They're a big, um, popular um, halfway to Black Friday. Is it the halfway to Black Friday? I think it's that's what it's called. A uh, sale is starting, uh, I believe, this coming week. Uh, so a lot of their catalog, including all their partner uh, films, are going to be on sale. And I know there's a beautiful release. I think they were. I don't know if it's going to be out of stock soon. Of WNUF on Blu-ray um, is going to be. Uh, presumably on sale so i want to pick that up i almost bought it they actually had a slip cover that's like an old like a like a vhs like a blank vhs cover you'd get with like you know if you're if you're recording something on from from tv uh, i had that kind of look to it so looked really cool I, i'd be interested to check that out uh mostly to kind of learn more about how the movie was made and kind of the background behind it i think there would be kind of some interesting material to get there um so that's about it so curtis what have you uh, added to your watch list just uh four quick ones too so obviously i mentioned the uh other Black Rain, I thought that'd be kind of interesting, especially after uh, I rewatched uh, this movie, Black Rain, uh, twice, and I actually enjoyed it a lot more the second time. The second time I watched it with my girlfriend who uh, studied, did a master's in Japanese studies, so I pre- think I appreciate it a lot more the second time. Um, so nice. I also wanted to watch uh, Sisu, which is a Finnish film that just came out. Looks a little over the top. But like a revenge like, flick. Yeah, it's like it's like a Finnish guy, and I, I don't know his story. He, I think he's like a minor or something. And then he he's hunting just, Nazis or something. Yeah, he just starts hunting Nazis. And I said, well, that, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so uh, I want to watch that. And I wanted to watch uh, The Starling Girl, which also just came out. And this is with Eliza Scanlon. Um, she's a Kiwi actress, but she does a lot of American films. She was in uh, Little Women and um, Sharp Objects. A great, great actress, too. And uh, yeah, I thought it'd be kind of an interesting film to check out. Um, 
It's about this girl, and she grows up in a kind of fundamentalist Christian community in Kentucky and tries to find her place, too. Um, just kind of a cool concept, and I, I had really good reviews, so I thought I'd check that out. And um, the last one I wanted to watch was the uh, new HBO series called The Idol, too. And that stars uh, Johnny Depp's daughter, Liz, Liz, Lily Rose Depp, and uh, The Weeknd. And mm-hmm. I think it's just about some awful... <laughs> um, singer or rock star or something too but i don't really know the full story but maybe it'll be fun to watch maybe i'll get i'll hate them all and i want to watch it's, anymore but <laughs> it's sam it's sam levinson so it's gonna be very hedonistic yeah euphoria, euphoria i think that same guy right so lots yeah. of you know it's not gonna be an easy watch but it'll be a an interesting watch definitely so <laughs> that's everything i had to my watch this week and i guess now we can center in on um on black rain too and i mean okay. yeah watching it a second time i enjoyed it a lot more the first time i found uh i watched bits and pieces of it in the past and i finally i sat down last week and i, I watched it the first time and i, I felt a little bit disconnected at first too because you know like i was saying before the podcast i love those like scenes with the you know steamy japan <laughs> he really scott loves steam you know blade runner he always says steam coming out and this movie has steam coming out uh but this one i don't know i think just Cause I, I, th- I thought about it again on the second watch, and, and I felt the characters were a little bit racist on the first watch, and then I was like, well, no, they're just kind of more culturally insensitive, and I think he's really trying to augment that cultural insensitivity. But, you know, um, uh, Michael Douglas, I, I think he's he seems like a really lovely guy in real life, but he always, this is kind of peak, uh, you know, <laughs> Mike Douglas asshole characters, you know, like, <laughs> you know, Gordon oh, yeah. Gecko and uh, what was another one? Uh, well, well, falling down. <laughs> Well, well, 1980, well, this is like, this is two years after, probably, I would say Michael Douglas, 1987, probably one of the biggest years for any actor, because he had, of course, as you mentioned, Wall Street, I think, did he win an Oscar for Gordon Gekko, like a supporting actor? I think so, actor? yeah. Obviously, a, a role of a lifetime, that same year, of course, also starred in Fatal Attraction, which was a very successful, notable movie, so, uh, t- 1987, huge year for Michael Douglas, so he was probably at the height of his star power here at this point. And actually, interestingly enough, uh, for the role of Nick Conklin, he plays it. Um, other folks that were considered were um, Harrison Ford and Kurt Russell, which would have been actually interesting to see. Interesting, in this. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Harrison Ford coming back to this material would have felt a little bit like Deckard, I feel like. but um, A little bit, yeah, because it, it does feel like a modern Blade Runner, doesn't it? You know, with, the, with the steam again. <laughs> and there's like the billboards, the neon because, lights, yeah. And Michael Michael Douglas has that great flow, you know, he's got that flow going, especially when he's motor, motorcycle racing in the first bit of this oh, movie, yeah. like a total badass. I mean, this movie really has an absolutely ludicrous premise. Uh, it's about, <laughs> uh, for folks listening in, of course, Nick Conklin, played by Michael Douglas, he's this bad boy cop you know he's a police officer he's an officer but he actually also he's a hard-boiled cop crooked. yeah <laughs> he's a crooked you know you find yeah. out i i think it's a he gets like a he's investigating uh, for corruption yeah yeah he's getting a voicemail from uh, from internal affairs so he's actually there's a there's a reason to believe that this actually might be one of his last like tasks as a as a as a detective because like he doesn't have his it seems like his his role his career is kind of threatened um but um him and his uh, colleague charlie vincent played by andy garcia they witness this shocking daytime murder in this uh restaurant uh that's kind of a mix between like the italian mob in new york and also uh this japanese mob, mob the yakuza and so this man is killed by this mm. other figure uh named sato yeah. Sato, as they call him, Sato. Sato. Like, Sato. No, it's Sato. And that's his last yeah. role, too, I think, isn't it? So, yeah, you saw him at Sudo. Yeah, yeah, and and, and yeah, I know I, I don't really know much about um, I, I don't know much I don't watch a lot of anime but I do know that mm. uh, Yusaku Matsudo uh, was a huge influence in a lot of like Japanese anime for that time like I think he used, the, the he used to play a lot of bebop was based on yeah his, well he used to play a lot of Kenshiro as well too from, from he used to play a lot of cops cops I think too so this is kind of an unusual role for him too and he, yeah. they found out he had uh, bladder cancer and then he just like unfortunately like he didn't really like. He, he didn't, he didn't address it or anything. Yeah, very he Japanese. was while filming too. I was reading that like accumulating blood. Yeah, yeah. He was like peeing blood like while filming. I'm like, that's like really intense. Like he was yeah. actively like suffering through it. Kind of interesting because you know he plays a cop. He's playing a bad kind of uh, an offshoot of the yakuza in this one. And then you have of course uh, ten Kak- <laughs> ten the uh, Kakakura, who, who of course playing Maz oh, uh, Mashiro <laughs> Of course, uh, notably was uh, starred in the Yakuza, the kind of Paul Schrader Polak joint. Um, so his kind of roles are often playing kind of uh, criminals, and, and so it's kind of interesting to see the flipping. In this, he's playing a more stoic 
police officer, um, the inspector of the uh, Osaka prefecture. Um, so, of course, the premise is this this uh, Japanese uh, uh, mobster, this Yakuza man has been arrested, and they're trying to extradite him back to Japan. So, uh, who, who else to pick but the two biggest xenophobic racist police officers? <laughs> like, it's so stupid. Like, like, hopelessly like, incompetent. They're, they're really incompetent, too. Like, how, yeah, they like, fuck up. They, yeah. give, they give they give the paperwork to the Yakuza before the cops arrive, and then, like, you know, just Michael Michael Douglas doesn't know anything about Japan. Like, he just goes there, and he's like, he's a, he, he's, he doesn't, he wears his fucking shoes in the house. You're not supposed to do it's that, so, man. <laughs> it's so weird, because it's like, they could have gotten anyone to do this job, and it's like, let's yeah. send those xenophobic just people. In the, our, guy under, the guy in our investigation, you know. Yeah, let's send these guys. So he sends them, and they go to Japan, and they're about to hand over, they hand them over, they sign paperwork, and then all of a sudden, these other men show up, they're like, oh, we're the police officers to pick up uh, Sato, they realized they've been had that the police officers who picked him up were actually fake. Um, they were members of Yakuza, so he's now escaped and free. And so they're there, they're, they're working with the Japanese officers. Um, but the, as things kind of progress, um, we find out Sato is at large in Japan and Michael Douglas in particular kind of wants to, wants to take him down. Um, the film has a lot of focus on I think, uh, well, just to kind of even go more broadly, I mean, the name Black Rain in this, and this this name actually comes up later in the movie with uh, with Sugai, where he's talking to yeah, he's talking about you know when I was a kid that I was a child when the bombs fell from the B the B bomb the B fifty two bombers, and he says like we I remember the Black Rain, and of course the Black Rain's referring to the fallout rain from the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and yeah. Nagasaki, which you know the the bombing was bad enough, but the, it was really the rain and the and the fallout which caused you know horrific cancers and diseases that would plague people for the rest of the next, rest of their lives really, and so he kind of brings it up in the context of. Uh, Black Rain referring to like American corruption, like Americans fallen influence, and that's really a big focus of this movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's a m much more headier movie than I thought because it really does focus a lot about kind of Japanese versus American values. On one hand, it's like this buddy cop movie that doesn't, I think, totally doesn't quite work at times. But I do think it's kind of interesting where they're kind of focusing on uh, Maz's character, who's I think you're kind of meant to see him as a little bit of like, oh, you know, he's, you know, loosen your collar a bit, you're so uptight, and there's a little bit of that, but yeah, a lot of that's, that a, that's also the, the Japanese way, too, and it's kind of yeah. that misunderstanding or indifference to that way of living, too, isn't it? Yeah, and then, of course, it, it, we, we see a flip around on, on Conklin, where we see him as this kind of unhinged character, and, of yeah. course, we find out he's a bit dirty, and we learn as the movie goes on that he was involved in this drug money that was kind of lifted up, and Maz asks him, asks him straight up, did you take the money? And he's like, he says he did. So for the most of this, most of this movie, Nick Conklin, you're, he's kind of almost unlikable, and actually, he doesn't really have much of a moral oh, yeah. code or anything I think for like the that. First, like, the first half of the film, like, I couldn't stand him, and I was like, oh, I hope he dies. Or something. Yes. And the second half is when you have kind of more of a redemption arc, I think. Yeah, he doesn't have much of a real real code, and really his only moral code is sort of, it's sort of really, really individualist, the idea of, like, kind of catching the bad Do guy at all costs. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even then, it's like catching a bad guy, but not doing it in a way that's actually collaborative or actually helpful in any sort, so it's an interesting kind of di dynamic there, and I find more about the greater kind of dynamic between the United States and Japan, because, of course, uh, Japan in the late 19th century was a very pop prosperous country, uh, industrialized very quickly in Asia, mm -hmm. even amongst other countries in Europe. And then, of course, in the 20th century, Japan was a massive power, of course, notably uh, getting into the context of Black Rain and the bombings. Uh, Japan invaded the United States at Pearl Harbor, and Japan and the United States were at war. Bomb at least, yeah. <laughs> war, the war ended uh, through the, you know, in part because of the atomic bombs being dropped and the very violent uh, bombings that had, had occurred. Um, but following that, it was a very kind of a shocking, successful time in Japan because following the war, there was uh, the pact. Uh, of course, the United States uh, was kind of gov governing in Japan, uh, mm. kind of took control of the military, and really started a huge effort um, in in rebuilding and and building back the infrastructure of Japan. And from the 1950s through to the end of the 80s, Japan became a very successful uh, economy. Uh, one of the top, I think for a time, it was actually the second highest economy in, in the world. There had been some speculation mm -hmm. in the 80s that Japan was going to be the next superpower, kind of the way we look at you know China and India today, or I guess to a, to a lesser extent, like uh, countries like Nigeria today. Japan was that focus in the 80s. Japan was the the center of of of, of creating hardware and, and computer machines and, and devices. Uh, they were very tech-forward uh, for their time, still to this day, but certainly yeah, back in the great 80s. stuff. <laughs> 
And so the eighties was a kind of a huge time of like a wave of like Japanese influence on American culture. Of course, the rise of anime of Acura of, of shows like Dragon Ball and all that stuff started to kind of get imported into the United States video games, of course, too. Um, and, and this is, this kind of marks the sort of end of that eighties wave. This is 1989. This is sort of right at the end of that kind of wave of eighties influence. And, uh, uh, of course, that's the big part of this, is they're actually in Japan, and it was actually filmed, I believe, on location in Japan, uh, filmed well, I, in Osaka. I think what's interesting, too, is that kind of, you, you also get a little bit of resentment towards, like, a lot of the American way, too, you know, there's, my girlfriend translates some of the, the, the Yakuza when they were in the, uh, tea house and stuff in the bathhouse and she's like, you know, he's saying, like, speak, <laughs> speak Japanese, you're in Japan now, and then he just, like, uh, what do you mean you don't speak any English, you know, and then, then he had, like, headbutts the, the Yakuza guy, so I thought that was kind of interesting too, you know. Yeah, and you get those dynamics as well with the police because even when they're interacting with the other officers, like you know, Chief Inspector Ohashi, Ohashi's like you know he's he's uh, he he has like very little respect as well too for Nick and, and Charlie, and like you know he's this man who's trying to manage his officers in Japan, and he sees them kind of them kind of bristling against what they're saying, and uh, uh, we, you know the, there's been discussion about this movie, you know, it's sort of xenophobia, and I, I think that's pretty intentional. I mean, at one point, I, I found Charlie's character a little weird because. You know, he's probably the most likable, and he gets that great fun sequence where he's singing karaoke, singing Ray Charles with Maz, and you kind of warm up to him. But he's also he's also a little bit xenophobic too. Like I think he says like a slur at one point, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, it took me out of it. But I mean, these are meant to be like kind of shitty police officers. You well, know, that, real that, like, that, that, that was shitty water too, Americans. Where yeah. he's trying to do the Matador thing with his coat, and he leaves his passport in there. I'm like, well, I don't. I've been drunk many times, and I've never left, done something that dumb. You know, like and, and then, the Yakuza yeah. takes off with his coat. I'm like, oh, that's just, that's his recipe for disaster. Disaster, you know? And that, yeah, that leads to that murder. I mean, that, that's probably my favorite shot in the movie, where we get that kind of point of view shot with the sword, and he's like dragging it on, yeah. the, on the ground, and it's making the sparks, and he gets fucking decapitated. I kind of saw it coming, but I was like pretty, pretty surprised. So it was the, kind of interesting because the way it I think, shot like, is beautiful, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the rest of the movie after that, it kind of becomes more of like a, again, a revenge arc, but it's also it's more sobering, uh, Nick isn't Conklin, it? Nick Conklin mm -hmm. and Maz kind of teaming up. To, to an extent, I think the characterization kind of changes a bit there because I, I think so much of it is is them not really connecting or, or being, you know, having much chemistry there, but then, you know, kind of being bonded together by this experience and trying to do the right thing and uh it was it was an interesting experience i think watching it and again they, they shot yeah. this they filmed it in japan uh notably the production of this was pretty um was pretty troubled um i was talking earlier before the show the sequence when they're in the steel foundry and we're seeing like mm -hmm. um uh we're seeing sato talk with sugai and they're kind of sending showing him the money the the, the plates and he's you see michael douglas kind of hiding it's all draped really red it looks beautiful but apparently like when they were shooting that scene officials would be like would would interrupt the takes there was one part when an official actually put his hand over the camera to, yeah. to stop a shot and, yeah i think it was um, just so bad though i think ridley scott like said i don't want to ever film in japan again too because there's just so much red tape with shooting yeah. and they had to re they had to re put the bring them somewhere else maybe hong kong or california to reshoot the yeah they, they they shot the final the the sequence at the at the farmland that was all shot in napa valley oh, vineyard like, dang it because i was i was weird it looked like a vineyard i'm like where did they make wine in japan in, in Japan, I don't think anywhere. <laughs> yeah, like, but no, that, that's Napa Valley. Yeah, that's in California. But yeah, yeah, it was it was very troublesome, especially with the, you know, there's a lot of firearms and stuff like that. It was very hard to kind of get around the red tape, as you were saying. And even because of that, Howard uh, Afton was was the uh, Afton was the, the cinematographer of the movie. He actually quit early on, and uh, Jan de Bont uh, took over. Um, and you know, we get his efforts on this. And I mean, Jan de Bont is great, and uh, especially his directorial efforts like Speed. Um, you really get really like quick, snappy. I think shots here. A lot of really great um, sequences, especially some of the chases. The way it's edited too. It's it's very very slick and has a kind of uh, um, debont kind of energy to it. Um, as you were saying, like we we talked before this, we even started recording today. Like you had said, you know, this movie's kind of like a Tony Scott film, and I, I kind of felt that too. It has that kind of early Tony Scott feel. It actually doesn't feel a lot like Ridley, and, it, and even coming from Someone to Watch Over Me, which is a very dry, placid film, um, <laughs> this one does have a bit of New York feel, a bit of 80s New York, but mostly 80s Japan, but it's a lot more action-oriented. We've yeah. got that killer haunts Zimmer score with the, like, Asian influences and all, oh, yes, the, like, the movie electric doesn't, guitars. The movie doesn't sit down as soon as he's driving that along the uh, Brooklyn River, I guess. You know, it doesn't let down. 
Yeah, so it's 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 definitely a little bit more action oriented. I mean, especially the final kind of uh, uh, climax at the the big at the at the, at the farmland uh, where they're at that the temple where and there's and like that, the cars blowing up. Every car is just exploding. Well, because I, I was talk I was reading some of the YouTube comments, and they were saying that like as a motorcyclist, like it's extremely dangerous to obviously have motorcycles on the vineyard just because it's so unstable too in the way that was shot to you know where he's like pushing him against the the tire and stuff and <laughs> like he, he mushes his stump in the mud and i was like oh god like this is intense like that's a really well shot fight scene you know classic ridley doing the impossible <laughs> yeah we get we get michael douglas going sicko mode you know beating up uh, on sato and it's a nice little it's a cool kind of twist ending too because you get that shot of like the the spike and you're like oh he's gonna push him you know that you better get the point but no he doesn't do it he actually you know he, he learns a little bit from us he brings it back to the police uh prefecture yeah that's a, it's a beautiful her. ending it's a beautiful ending isn't it i think um yeah it doesn't and doesn't he give him the plates at the end i i, I, yeah. I you know was was he given the plates so that so that he could actually print money on his own or was uh, it so no he just could bring it back? so okay. he could bring it back to them too because okay. i think i don't know where he stole it originally but i think he just wanted to like do the right thing at the end so that yeah. was his kind of way of showing respect and I think that was just a really nice ending too, and you know there was that that scene too because I think Ridley Scott had an alternate ending where he actually kills Sato because they do show the spikes too, but he decided yeah. not to, and I think that just shows that Michael Douglas has kind of had that redemption; he's becoming a better person. And I I thought that was a really beautiful and very Japanese actually that kind of ending. So I yeah. I really liked it. So he actually kind of integrates in the end successfully with <laughs> Japan. I kind of thought um, I don't know what you think too. In a way, when early in the film at least, uh, Sato and uh, Conklin are quite similar characters, like they're both kind of wild dogs, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well Sato is, is part of the Yakuza, but we find out that he's like a much more violent and hinged kind of element. He's like a fringe. Well, he's, he's so bad that the, 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 Yakuza, the Yakuza, the, the Oyobun doesn't like him, and I'm like, if the Oyobun doesn't like you in the Yakuza, then you know you're doing something crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he's like too much for them. He doesn't look, follow by the rules, um, and he's much more violent and kind of unhinged than than some of the other figures. Um, and uh, interesting enough, Sato's character. I mentioned that Harrison Ford and um, and Kurt Russell were considered for Nick Conklin. Well, uh, Jackie Chan was actually originally approached to play Sato. Well, that would have been something. Um, but, eh? but he's actually Japanese. <laughs> but, he, but he's yeah, Hong Kong actor, of course. But he turned it down because he felt audiences did not want to see him play a bad character. So kind of interesting. But um, I was that would I have been very odd. I was interested in seeing Kate Capshaw again because I had only seen her before yeah. in Temple of Doom too. But she plays kind of an interesting role here, and obviously it's a very hard role for her as a woman her character as a woman in this society too because you know japanese society is very kind of patriarchal still and obviously as a as, an, as a foreigner you get kind of you know uh, ostracized i think sometimes um but i i thought that was really interesting her relationship with michael douglas too and my girlfriend's like oh it's too you know he should end up with a japanese woman at the end too but i thought it was kind of interesting it reminded me of lost in translation a little bit too just having that connection and being alienated in this world too and obviously she works at the nightclub and you know she's i, I didn't like her the first time i thought she was kind of like i don't know she felt kind of prickly the first time i watched the movie but the second movie i kind of appreciated her a bit more i think what did you yeah. think well, I thought her character also ties into the you know the themes around um, the xenophobia and sort of a, yeah. the Asian anxieties, the kind yeah, of Asian anxieties of Japan. Because um, Michael Douglas uh, asks her straight up, he's like, you know, where did you learn Japanese? And she says, Chicago. You know, it's kind of a, a joke because it's like, you know, she's from Chicago, and he's like, oh, you probably came here, you you learned it here. And she's like, no, I learned J Japan back at home. So it's the idea of uh, you know, it's this kind of very international. Uh, role of the it's it's a little bit ahead of its time it's like you know I'm, i've come here from the united states i'm finding my own way here in this country um i'm not just some don't, you know, don't outsider. Need a, man. <laughs> a guy i'm not just some gaijin gaijin i'm i'm kind of integrated a little bit yeah she's gone she's got a film film and louise she's just doing her own fucking thing you know but, so. <laughs> I, I find she, her characterization was pretty thin i actually think like yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott has no time for women in this movie. Uh, no, not no so much. Way. I mean, she has that kind of awkward kiss at the end with, like, Michael Douglas. I'm like, did they even have a relationship whatsoever? <laughs> it was very odd, but uh, um, especially coming from someone to watch over me, which has much better, few, stronger uh, women characters in it, much more fully fleshed out. This movie, this is this is time for the dudes, women. Sorry, this is a, <laughs> this is a quintessential dad core movie uh, at the most. And I thought about that watching this. I'm like, man, my dad, I don't think my dad's ever seen this movie. My dad would have fucking loved this movie because this is such a good dad movie. You got Michael Douglas himself wearing a black coat. Uh, Andy Garcia. 
especially that sequence when like they throw him the shotgun and the and the and the shells, and he's kind of like <laughs> running off into the mist. He invited made me think of like a video game. Like he's like running off into oh, the where, valley. Where he gets off? The, I thought it's kind of dad core that part too, where he gets off the plane too. Like he doesn't want to be on the plane. And he gets off. It just remind me of something a dad a dad would do. Like he's yeah, dad. <laughs> and he's such so. a dick too because we see that scene earlier where Sato like kind of looks at him here and he like, punches him in the face. Like he's uh, but his one liners. This one liner game is great. I think Michael Douglas. I don't always buy him as, like, an action star, but I think, like, as you were saying, like, he always plays kind of assholes that are really <laughs> captivating, really smart, um, kind of uh, transgressive characters, so I think there's something... And he's such a well-spoken uh, performer. Like, uh, so many great one-liners when he's talking about... Uh, He's like, he's like, you know, I like to get kissed before I get fucked, and like, I, I just cracked up. Yeah, I was like, what, what, what Japanese guys are gonna understand that, man? Like, come on. And, uh, yeah, Charlie's like, oh, you know, play, 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 yeah. a little foreplay. And Charlie's yeah. having a great time this movie. Before he gets his head cut off, anyway, he's just having a blast. Oh yeah, it's, like, it's really cute. He does like the kind of like typical like North American tourist thing, like konnichiwa, sayonara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, but I, I think what I when I got out of this movie, I went into this thinking it was going to be a very mindless, dumb, action cop thriller, and to an extent it kind of is, but there's something more going on here, like the the whole fish-out-of-water American cop. I think the, the American interventionism. with Japan. Yeah, yeah, the contrast of Japanese policing versus American policing, the idea of Nick representing kind of fallen American values. You know, he's someone in a different time who would have been like a John Wayne character who, in the modern America, there are no more John Waynes. It's just Nicks. It's just a bunch of corrupt, greasy cops and that he represents kind of a fallen America. And I thought that there was a little bit more headier stuff going on. And uh, and also the movie's just, it's gorgeous, it's got really it's signature. Nice, it's nice seeing more of that, sle- that sleazy, dirty new- 80s New York, too. Isn't yeah, it? we got beautiful <laughs> Jan, de- Jan de Bont cinematography, it looks beautiful, the score is great, Hans Zimmer score. And I think this is one of the first collabs, this might actually, I think this is the first collaboration between Ridley Scott and Hans Zimmer, because Hans Zimmer came back to do other Ridley Scott scores, uh, Thumb yeah. Louise, Hannibal, and of course Black Gladiator, which is probably, oh, yeah. was it Black Hunt Down too? I know it's Gladiator know, as well. Um, Gladiator, I think, is probably like his one of his more signature scores. So, oh, he did. Um, but no, it wasn't. I think uh, Harry Gregson Williams did. Um, yeah, you're right. Harry Gregson Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I think uh, otherwise, like the film, it looks great. It's got that great '80s Japan feel. Um, some sequences where you get. I, I, I make me want to go there. I've been wanting to go to Japan, but when I see when I see '80s Japan, I'm like, well, I kind of really just want to go to 1980s Japan. Like, yeah, I mean, go back in time. No, yeah, <laughs> '70s New York and '80s Japan would be like high on my list. Like, 1980s. Bring your, bring your switchblade. <laughs> yeah, it looks it looks beautiful. All the the neon signs so and everything. <laughs> It, look, it looks quite sharp, and uh, yeah, I, I thought overall, and I loved, I thought in terms of the performances, who are who is our winner, I think Ken Takakura really shines in yeah. this, playing a, very, are great. playing a very muted role, you know, he's playing like a stoic role, but also little bits of, he has to have little bits of levity, but he sells a performance that but I he's think, he's so patient, <laughs> yeah, it's, you can really see like he's really struggling in terms of his patience with, mm. with Nick Conklin, and, I think uh, for me, I, I really liked the Matsuda, I thought that was the green the crop, you know, this, this the scenes to where he's like, bowing and then he does like the the gun thing too and i just i thought it was such a great final role for him he put everything he had into that physically and psychologically and it's just what a shame that we lost him and i haven't watched any of his other stuff but i mean loved his hair loved his look thought he was a great oh, with the glasses and everything yeah, yeah uh, going He's into the going there. into the restaurant in front of two cops and just killing two like high-ranking yakuza just a wild yes <laughs> and i love the italians in that scene they're kind of just like oh no i was just thinking about telling you like you don't disrespect the vesuvio you know you don't do that shit here he's like they're just kind of like mama mia doesn't give a shit <laughs> yeah they're pretty like surprised um yeah but i guess i maybe i'm maybe i'm overselling it but i really like this film i thought it was just yeah. a total blast looked really sharp i do think if i had to really nitpick and i don't like to do that when we do these discussions but i did feel like it tries to shoehorn in like a buddy comedy thing in the in the hat the later half and yeah, it, it's not, it's it didn't really work very well <laughs> i actually kind of wish they were a little bit played a little bit more straightforward that like nick and maz are kind of like oil and water that they're just doing this as like a duty and i kind of wish it was more about that i did like their kind of connection though at the end it was fun but mm. um there's some it, it leads to it leads for some odd sequences particularly um michael douglas loose going ape shit at the hideout and just smashing everything and it's just such a wacky scene where he's like <laughs> breaking everything and then he sees the sequence on, on the table but i'm like man you're just destroying all the evidence in this like yeah hideout. like it's going to a shit you're going wild dog you get like like sato <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, but I, I, I wonder how different this movie would be if you had Nick and Charlie the whole way through with Sa with Maz. I, I wonder if that would be a you know probably a much more different movie in terms of tone because um, obviously losing Charlie so early on uh, makes for it's, it's a pretty dramatic sequence. You don't really, I mean, you kind of see it telegraphed, but you don't think he's going to get his literal mm -hmm. head chopped off. Um, so it's a pretty shocking scene too. But um, it, it and kind of it's really sobering because up to then it's not really that serious, but then after he gets killed, you know, the, you know, the, you don't mess with the Yakuza, high, yeah. yeah, yeah, and even then, too, like, I asked my girlfriend, I said, what it's like in Kyoto when you, when you're there, too, like, uh, the, the Yakuza, they keep Are there only motorcycle gangs that's yeah. like, you go, like, <laughs> they just come up to you with like, their, oh. their, their sword, and just, <laughs> no, they usually, like, don't, don't bother, they're not really interested in foreigners, which is kind of probably a good thing, so, you know, if you, and they, if you see people with tattoos, they don't let them in the bathhouses and stuff, so they have their own bathhouses, oh, wow. and, yeah, um, I guess it, that movie kind of captures the culture shock of being there too, because I mean, I think it's interesting that they have like the kind of two racist cops as the most as the ones visiting, because you get kind of the more extreme culture. That's shock. what I'm saying. I'm like, why would they send those guys? Like, they send yeah. You don't have anyone who like speaks Japanese or I don't know. <laughs> well, let's send the two worst nice, candidates nice, possible. Or that that scene where like Charlie's eating and he puts like the, the counterfeit bill on his. Food yeah. and I'm like, what are you doing at my lunch, man? He's <laughs> like, you're not gonna eat that shit, are you? I'm like, I would eat that. I and ate, earlier, eat that. <laughs> and earlier when Mazzi the noodles, he's like, you're gonna make yourself sick or whatever. I'm like, these are guys who, who solely consist of coffee, cigarettes, and donuts. Man, trying like, to like explain this, why this they're pussy Mats fat. Matsumoto has grown his whole life eating noodles. He knows noodles, man. Don't don't criticize his noodles. <laughs> but, but as a coffee lover, I did get a kick of them constantly asking for coffee and being confuddled because everyone's just got tea. They're just They've like, what are you talking about, coffee? You know. Like C O B A. to buy an expression uh, machine for the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, great, great movie, great dad film. Um, anything else you want to add about this? I will note as well too. Actually, this one um, I didn't realize this, but this film was quite commercially successful. I think when it came out, it made it was about. I think budget-wise, it was like thirty million, uh, made one hundred and thirty-four million. So this was a very successful uh, box office film, which was good for Ridley because Ridley had come off uh, some pretty two big flubs with uh, Legend and Someone to Watch Over Me. So this mm -hmm. one was a bit of a comeback for uh, Ridley Scott. Um, I wasn't yeah. aware that this was actually so uh, commercially successful. And I also note, of course, the um, I really got a kick out of the um, VHS cover of this movie. I guess it's the official movie poster where it's Michael Douglas in shades with his arms crossed like this. It makes it look like it's like Blade Runner 2 or like a sci-fi sci kind of dystopian <laughs> movie, but it's not like that at all. But when you see the poster, it looks He's in Japan and it's like, this is his law or something. I'm like, no, it's not. He's in Japan. They're going to follow <laughs> Japanese laws, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Any, anything else you want to add? Uh, um, I will we, say uh, that if you do want to watch online, you can watch... Well, I thought it was on Tubi, so don't make the same mistake I did. The other Black Rain is on Tubi, which I'm sure is also a great film, but um, yeah, it's not on Tubi, so I just rented it on YouTube, so um, you could probably... Yeah, I rented it as well, too. I, I think... I mean, you can also buy this. I mean, it's also... I think there's a Blu-ray uh, as well for this one, um, and uh, I'd actually probably get this. I, I might get this on Blu-ray, because I, I think this would look pretty sharp. Um, but yeah, I, I rented it as well, too, and, and I didn't regret it. I thought it was, it was a great great time with it um i guess we can get our scores then so just the two yeah. of us so uh curtis what did you what did you think what was your yeah score so obviously I, I enjoyed a lot more i think the first time i watched it i'd give it probably a three the second time i watched it i liked it a lot more i noticed a lot more i really appreciated the cultural differences too i thought uh you know the movie is more about like i think michael douglas was saying there was a lot of criticism about the film like people said it was a racist film and i think that that's totally missing the point yeah. <laughs> i don't think it is a racist film i think the characters in the film i mean I mean, they're culture insensitive. I mean, they don't say any racial remarks, but I mean, maybe you could say they're a little bit racist. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's the point of the film, though. I think it's to show those cultural differences. And I think Michael Douglas said that in interviews, too. I really enjoyed it. The, the action scenes, uh, some of it is a little bit slow, but I mean, I think it's once you get going, you really get going with the film, too. The end, the end scene was kind of unexpected. I really like that, though. Um, and just how he redeems himself in the second half of the film, too. And, yeah, I always love watching these Michael Douglas films. Like, I love Romancing the Stone, and, I mean, he's an asshole kind of in that movie, too. But he's the like Fincher a, one he's in, where he plays the, like, uh... Um, Falling Down? Is that what? Is that no, the there's, a, there's a David Fincher movie that uh, Michael Douglas oh, is in, too. It's quite good. I, I don't know. I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying to remember the movie. But it's a very it's a very similar role, uh, similar character role to uh, to this uh, this film as well, too. It's oh, like he okay. always plays kind of a similar... Yeah, kind of basic instinct guy. <laughs> basic oh, instinct oh, cop, yeah. <laughs> It's the game where he plays the, uh, the, the banker. Yeah. 
That's a, yeah, it's an early Fincher one, I think, from the 90s. So, um, yeah. plays another slicked back hair character wearing suits. Gordon Gre- Gecko. Go, go in full Gordon Gecko mode, you know, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> from the defense of Trump, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so was, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great movie. It was really interesting to see the, you know, the kind of cultural clashes and connections and see Japan too. And I, I really enjoyed it. So, four out of five for me. So, I definitely highly recommend this one. Um, it's nice with Ridley Scott too. And I, I think we noticed too, you know, when the first movies came out, we had Blade Runner Alien. And then you see like something like, um, Legend. I think his, his whole career has kind of been like a roller coaster yeah. kind of. So, I mean, we're going to go back up again too with the Thumb and Louise too. And then when we get to the Martian and Gladiator and, Black Hawk Down, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of things below the surface too, so it's always nice to see those films as well. What did you think? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kind of tied it to kind of the peaks and valleys of his career because, I mean, uh, really, Scott, I, I know Alien and Gladiator and all those, you know, big successful films he's done, but he has had uh, kind of some works that have really kind of fallen off the radar. Um, you know, they came and went. I even think of something like American Gangster, which was mm. quite a hit when it came out yeah. in 2007 that no one talks about anymore. So um, th- in this case, Black Rain, I came to this kind of expecting it, you know, this is fallow period Scott with Legend, which I liked, but it was very kind of critically mixed and uh, someone to watch over me, which I liked and was very fucking critically mixed to the point, I would say it's pretty negatively received, but um, I was much more positive on Black Rain. I, I gave it a 4.5. I actually think it's almost, if it had been a little bit smoother with, with its characterization and script, I think this would have been like a 5 out of 5 for me. I thought the movie was brilliant. Yon mm. Dabat's cinematography really sells it in Hans Zimmer's score. It's got that, it's oozing with 80s Japan 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 with its soundtrack and its its beautiful shots of as we were saying the foggy smoky and the kind of um, the daytime sequences especially the sequence near the end and the kind of more agrarian areas it looks great uh, great lead performances too Michael Douglas uh, does a pretty good job here I don't know if he would have been my number one choice for this role I kind of beat I, I think I would have liked him more with Kurt Russell but I do like Michael Douglas who doesn't um, he's great and um, Again, as you, we were saying, the performers, uh, Yusaku Matsuda and Ken Takakura, the Japanese performers, this really sell it. Um, you know, it's a, it is a movie about, you know, xenophobia. It's a movie about two Americans who are bigoted and racist and kind of, uh, coming from a totally different culture of a much it's more morally, insensitive, yeah. a, a morally gray, as in that's, that's explicitly told in the movie, the idea of, you know, there is no black and white, it's only gray in New York City. New York City is a gray town coming to Japan, coming to Osaka with a much different kind of police bureaucracy and just cultural uh, norms. And I thought the movie did a really interesting job exploring that in the context of a, frankly, kind of plain dadcore action thriller. I mean, this is the kind of movie that would come out today on Netflix that would have just went over my head, glossed over, would have given it two out of five. But, you know, Ridley Scott's a true auteur. It really brings something interesting here. And it's a really, really He's surprising all, movie. I think even at his worst, he always has something to say, doesn't he? You know, like he always has some kind of point to make, too. And I think this is a really interesting rumination on those kind of cultural differences and how, you know, the U.S. kind of affects <laughs> that the tension between U.S. Yeah. and Japan, too. And and is there something still there with America? Is America a place where good goodness and all the values of the early 20th century, the greatest generation, the values that were sold following the war to the rest of the world. America is the hegemon. America is the, the land of cowboys and John Wayne of, of doing the right thing and making it and the American dream. Are those things still real? And are, and are they actually something that could still be sold and, and, and considered? And I think the movie has a little, has a little bit of that. It kind of has a little bit of a hope, hope to it, which I think is interesting. And it's an interesting turn for Ridley because, you know, he did more neo-noir kind of style cop movies a bit with Blade Runner and of course his last film. This one's a little bit more like a straightforward action movie. I guess you could say Ridley Scott could do Tony Scott. I don't know if Tony Scott could ever do Ridley Scott. I feel like not, Ridley not could so do much. No. What's his best movie? True Romance, but that's definitely not a Ridley Scott. It's more like Tarantino, isn't it? <laughs> I, I read a quote. I don't remember. It was on Letterboxd. I read a quote. Someone said, Ridley could do Tony. Tony well, Ridley could do early Tony. Tony couldn't do Ridley. But Ridley couldn't do late Tony, so I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of quote. But uh, yeah, it's a very different style movie from what we've seen from Ridley so far, and even from some of his other filmography, it's a little bit different. So yeah, I dug it. I'm probably more high on it than most, but I thought it was brilliant. I'd probably rank this up with his some of my favorite Ridley Scott films. So uh, coming out of this, yeah. overall four point two five. So very nice pretty surprise. Good, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> I, I like this movie so much. I, I think when I log on Letterbox, when I log. Uh, someone to watch over me. I'm gonna give it like a point five less because I think this movie actually made me like <laughs> like someone to watch over me more because I'm like okay, 
that movie does not compare at all to this movie. That movie is a much, much more of a solid tier below. So um, not a bad movie to me, but this one, for a period uh, that people would kind of consider a fallow period, a film that even amongst, uh, you know, I was looking at his filmography on Letterboxd, and, you know, this isn't his least, most least pop popular film, but it's definitely on the lower side of his sort of filmography. Um yeah, this one's a hidden gem, I'd say, to some people. A lot of people, I, I would, I was surprised. A lot of folks don't really know much about this movie, but they should because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was commercially successful. So you might not have seen it. Maybe you watched it on tape back in the day, but yeah, check out Black. Yeah, I think I remember seeing. I think I remember seeing Blockbuster like that. Michael Douglas with the airways on night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this it would have, no, it's Black Rain. <laughs> it would have all bled together. It would be like, oh, this movie, Wall Street, it's just Michael Douglas with his gorgeous yeah, flow. Who's that guy with aviators and Blade Runner? Oh, it's actually Michael Douglas. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when yeah. I think 90s stars, I think like Michael Douglas and like Mel Gibson, like for, action. <laughs> for middle, <laughs> for middle brow action kind of thrillers, <laughs> I think of those two guys, definitely. Or like Robert Downey Jr. before he was like, on drugs. <laughs> oh yeah, Down Downey had that one run. Mickey, with, Mickey Rourke before the Mickey Rourke before the space got fucked up. <laughs> like with Downey with Chaplin, he had that brief run where it's like, is this guy gonna be the next? You know, Daniel Day Lewis, and then drugs, and then no, then he was Iron Man for like fucking thirty years. Yeah. Now he's back. Now he's yeah. back. To hopefully cool not make shitty Russo films on Netflix. Like, keep, <laughs> we gotta save Chris Evans. What is going on with America's Sweetheart actor? Well, like, nothing page two. Not even those B movies. It's like Z movies. He's like, I need to do it to pay off some debts. I'm like, well, please do better movies. <laughs> I actually would love to see Chris Evans in more Nicolas Cage style genre. Uh, auteur picks like even Willy's Wonderland I would love to see a Chris Evan Willy's Wonderland style movie like we give him more weird roles don't just give him fucking uh you know I was thinking about it I was listening to, I think I was listening to the big picture the ringer podcast they're talking about Chris Evans they're pointing out that um in I think it was uh, uh Scott Pilgrim he's in it and he plays kind of a satire of himself it's like this hunky suave action man and he was kind of already making fun of that like 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and what is he doing now? He's in fucking Apple TV Plus's fucking generic action film. Like, what is going on? I oh, mean, we've really gone off the rails. We turned, I turned this into a soapbox. <laughs> we started talking to Chris Evans. We started talking about Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, what's next in the podcast? Yeah, we've got some more, more stuff, really Scott stuff coming up. So we have 1492 and then good old Thelma and Louise, one of my favorites. And we also got one of your uh picks coming up uh yeah back to back the future, to the, future. The, the og back to the future the best the best one in my opinion but uh, i might, I might push that one because I, I would prefer to have all of us on for that discussion it's my yeah. favorite movie. it's my favorite like blockbuster movie of all time i'd say like it's definitely my favorite so we'll have a lot it's of probably the movie it's the movie i definitely watched the most i mean my brother for a time we would watch that movie probably twice a year three times a year so um it's a movie that i've watched a ton I love it. Um, and I think we're also going to be doing a special topic episode talking Hidden Gems, which might be a little bit of like a clip show. We're going to be talking movies we've already talked about before. Probably stuff, at least from my end, I'm going to be talking stuff I've already mentioned on my uh, what I watched this week. But really want to kind of spotlight these in a little bit more detail. Movies that I think are quite exceptional. I picked a few that I watched. Uh, some of them I watched actually this year that have really stood out to me. So uh, that'll be coming up at some point soon. And, uh, yeah, probably more stuff to come. We've got some kind of yes. topic ideas that we're talking about, like some idea. I would really love to do a documentary month, I think. That would be a lot of fun. A month mm -hmm. where we just talk about our favorite documentaries. I could think of some really great ones I'd love to do. I'd love to talk Capturing the Freedmen's, one of my favorites. Yeah, but uh, I'd love I, to do Burden of Dreams. That would be good. Yeah, and uh, I also had some ideas. This is We're just talking about stuff that we were mentioning in group chat, but um, two ideas I had. Movies directed by actors, which is kind of a vague label because I think that also encapsulates like George Clooney and Ben Affleck, but I, I would say those guys are more hybrid director-actors, but stuff like you were saying, you recently watched um, like the Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper film. Yeah, yeah or even... Um, John um, Penn stuff. Yeah, Sean Penn, who is a director, but has been very infrequent with his films. And, and uh, his first, Sean Penn's first film, too, it was I think it was produced by awful Steve Bannon, believe it or not. And it's actually yeah. a pretty good movie, so I mean, it's, you know, six degrees of separation. <laughs> Jack Nicholson also directed a few movies, and I believe he directed the sequel to um, Chinatown, I think. And that was another topic I was thinking about do we should do is, uh, you know, they made a sequel to that, which would be sequels that you wouldn't think of, Rosemary's Babies. Rosemary's Baby 2, The Birds 2, sequels that you probably didn't even know existed. They just went straight to VHS, probably <laughs> never heard of them. Uh, that would be kind of fun to talk about. Maybe some of the more more well-known ones, like Psycho 2, might be fun as 
well too but those ones are a little bit more popular but there's some there's some ones that you look and you're like i didn't even know there's a sequel to this uh, i actually have one on tape above it's the gambler 2 which you, you know there's the gambler but probably didn't know there's the gambler 2 so that might be you know. a <laughs> discussion so that, that might come yeah, soon. lots of good stuff to cover then yeah Oh yeah. Anything else you want to mention, Curtis? Before we uh, uh, no. So up? yeah, stay tuned. I think uh, are we doing? I guess we're doing Thelma uh, and Louise next week, or is that yeah? The next next allegedly oh, one film is yeah. I, uh, that, I don't know. We're, I guess we're going to look at our. We'll have to see our schedule because you were saying you're going to be away for a bit. Mm-hmm. You got some stuff coming up. Uh, I think Quinn's going to have some stuff coming up. So we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make out. it. So Thelma and Louise will be coming soon. <laughs> that, that happens, especially when I, on my other podcast, Domestic Pints Only. I'll just plug it right now. We'll, me and Tom will be like, oh yeah. Next week we're going to talk about this, and then like the, the next episode comes out, it's a totally different topic because we're just like, ah, I don't know, we'll just figure out something. So we just like, you know, folks. Sometimes we plan things out. I like to plan things out like way in advance. I'm like a, I'm like a five month, six month long forecaster. But sometimes in the in the heat of the moment, it's fun to just, you know, why don't we just talk about this thing? Let's, yeah, I got three days. Let's watch it. Let's figure it out. So those always make for uh, for fun topics. So yeah, we'll see. Got some stuff coming up there. So lots so. of lots of eighties, nineties goodness to look forward to, which yeah, is definitely. always good. We're, yeah. we're finally we're finally in the nineties. You know, really, Scott. <laughs> we're, we're now we've crossed over. It's the nineties. We're heading towards peak Ridley. Uh, looking forward to it. Should be fun. Yeah. So thanks uh, for everyone to listening. We'll catch you next time. Um, and have a great uh, weekend. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Bye guys.